6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler begins his teaching on the book of 1 Kings, chapters 9 through 11. We took four chapters in the first hour. We're only going to take three in this next session. We're going to talk about uh, Solomon's achievements, his glory, and then his apostasy. And uh, it's really astonishing to see someone that has all his benefits fail. That should make us all humble. Realize that there but for the grace of God go any of us, huh? Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. We do pray, Father, you'd help us apply it to our lives. We just seek your Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts, open it to our own reality, Father, as we commit this hour and ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in the fourth session of First Kings. We're going to take chapters 9, 10, and 11, Solomon's achievements, his glory, and unfortunately, his apostasy in chapter 11. So let's just jump right on in. It came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. So the Lord actually, you know, he, you know, he appeared to David. He gave David the architecture of the temple, by the way. But that's why this arch- the architecture of Solomon's temple was inspired. I wouldn't say out of Herod's temple. But uh, that's important for us to understand. But now he's appearing to Solomon a second time. The Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. If thou, and if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my commandments, there's a big if there. Now, remember that if back there. Then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. That's quite a commitment. That's quite a commitment. And uh, see, he's, the, the Lord is warning the king that if he would walk before God, maintaining his attitudes and uh, actions, in obedience to God's word, then uh, he, he, God would provide an unceasing line of descendants for Solomon who would always rule over Israel. But that's not going to happen, obviously. And uh, so, you know, it's really significant as we go through this to realize that uh, David was set up as an example by God, as a, as, a, as a godly father, a bright and shining standard for this monarch. It's interesting that there was no great moral scandal connected with the name of of the reign of Solomon. Yet, we're going to discover he never attained the high spiritual uh, character of his father. And at best, he died under the displeasure of the Lord. 
And so this promise that God is giving him is conditional. We need to understand that. But if he shall turn at all from following me, ye are your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And at this house, which is high above every one that passes by, it shall be astonished uh, <clears throat> and shall hiss, and they shall say, What hath the Lord done uh, thus and thus to this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God and brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have taken hold upon other gods and have worshipped them and served them, Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. Boy, boy, boy. The, uh, he, God doesn't mess around. Um, now, the cause of Israel's falling away will ultimately be idolatry. And uh, I think it's noteworthy that Solomon, the one to whom this warning was given himself would soon be guilty of idolatry. We're going to see that in chapter 11. Now the Davidic dynasty, which was interrupted for centuries, starting with the Babylon captivity, it will be restored. By whom? Who's going to restore? The God has promised that David's dynasty would go on forever. How can it? Who? There you got right. It took you a while. Jesus, of course, Jesus, the Messiah, when he rules, will will uh, fulfill uh, that commitment. And uh, okay. Now Hiram, the king of Tyre, had furnished Solomon with cedar trees and fir trees and with gold, according to all his desire. That the king Solomon gave him twenty cities in the Sea of Galilee. Those are they, they'll, you'll hear this referred to as the Galilee of the Gentiles. Now. That sounds pretty good. See, Solomon owed him a big bit, so he gives him 20 cities. But Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities that Solomon had given him, and they pleased him not. So he wasn't too impressed. <laughs> he was not too impressed. Hiram had previously given Solomon cedar and pine, and as much gold, uh, the amount of gold was 120 talents, about 9,000 pounds of gold. We find that from uh, 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 9.14, but uh, we'll find that down in the 14th verse. But uh, now it's been suggested by some scholars that the Israel, Israel's treasury may have been, been uh, uh, running thin, so he gave them the cities in lieu of cash settlements, and they comprised the area that's later going to be called the, the Galilee of the Gentiles. But in any case, uh, um, let's see. Hi, yeah, okay. And, and so Hiram said, "What cities are these which thou hast given me, my brother?" And he called them the land of Kabul unto this day. Now the word Kabul. Is a, is a, 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 sounds like the Hebrew word for good for nothing. So it's, 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 it's a term of disparagement, if you will. And Hiram sent the king six score talents of gold. And this is the reason of the levy which Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house, and Milo, and the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, and Megiddo, and Gezer. So he, Solomon's building a lot of stuff, obviously. Um, so in addition to the temple and his palace, which we talked about that earlier, uh, he made level, he made supporting terraces, uh, by filling inland between the hills, uh, and he extended the wall of Jerusalem by doing that, doubling the size of the city of Jerusalem. And, uh, 
Uh, he surrounded the temple and probably the palace which were built to the north of the old city of David. Uh, Hazer, Megiddo, and Gezer were fortress cities, by the way. Uh, Hazer, uh, north of the Sea of, K- of Galilee, or the Sea of Kinnereth, if you will, uh, guarded the northern part of the kingdom. Megiddo protected the valley of Jezreel from the, from the, uh, from west to east in the central sector of Israel. And, uh, it's interesting that the excavation in Megiddo by the University of Chicago has revealed uh, extensive stone stables uh, from Solomon's time, large enough to hold about 500 horses. And Gezer served as a site of defense to the western Judah, where it discouraged any uh, southern or western aggressors from attacking Israel. Israel was stronger and wealthier under Solomon than any of its other kings before or later. So it's the peak, if you will. So... For Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire and slain the Canaanites that dwelt in the city and given it for a present to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon built Gezer and Beth Horon, the nether, and Baloth and Padmore in the wilderness, uh, in the land, and all the cities of the store that Solomon had, and cities for his chariots, cities for his horsemen, and that which Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and in Lebanon and in the land of his dominion. Okay. I might mention Tadmor, what came up there is, uh, was later called uh, Palmyra, it was located on the caravan route between Damascus and the Euphrates River to the northeast. And uh, Now Solomon had store cities throughout all through Israel. There were fortified towns where surplus food was stored. And uh, the uh, town, other, the, the, the towns I mentioned were uh, where they had chariots and horses to defend Israel against any invader. And so uh, he built up other towns throughout the kingdom for all various kinds of purposes. He's a real builder. And all the people that were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, which were not of the children of Israel, their children that were left after them in the land, whom the children of Israel also were not able to utterly destroy, upon those did Solomon levy a tribute of bond service to this day. And so uh, Solomon used slave labor for building his projects. And he conscripted it from the non-Israelite population groups living in the land, they included uh, the Hittites. They're originally from Anatolia or central Turkey. Uh, Amorites, uh, early hill dwellers in Canaan. The Perizzites were another sub-tribe of the Canaanites. And the uh, per- the uh, Hivites were um, probably the Indo- uh, Indo-Aryan uh, Hurrians. And the Jebusites were the original inhabitants of Jerusalem. And uh, so the peoples that weren't conj- were, were uh, not fully subjugated uh, uh, you know, paid tribute. So, okay. But of the children of Israel did Solomon make no bondmen. But they were men of war, and his servants, and his princes, and his captains, and rulers of his chariots, and his horsemen. And these were the chief of the officers that were over Solomon's work, 550, which bear rule over the people that wrought all the work. And uh, so, let's see, the, uh, the Israelites were exempted from the drudgery, but they were conscripted for the army. And that's foreman. So the labor force is huge, by the way, because... Uh, no, I don't have to get into all that. Let's just keep moving here. Uh, but Pharaoh's daughter came up out of the city of David unto her house which Solomon built for her. Then did he build Milo. And three times in a year did Solomon offer burnt offerings and peace offerings upon the altar which he built unto the Lord, and he burnt incense upon the altar that was before the Lord. So he finished the house. Okay. Um, the three occasions were probably the three primary occasions Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of the Harvest, or Feast of Weeks, or Passover, as it's called, and Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, there were three compulsory 
uh, times in, in, in the Torah that every able-bodied Jew had to come to Jerusalem. Those are probably the three occasions, but that's speculation. And King Solomon made a navy of ships. This may surprise many people. In Ezion Geber, which is beside Eloth, or Elot, really, uh, on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. So there's quite a navy. Um, in 1938 and 39, under the direction of uh, Nelson Gulick, excavators unearthed a compact but important town at the site of Ezion Geber. They discovered smelting furnaces there that used to produce the copper for Solomon's trade. Uh, Ezion Geber was sort of the Pittsburgh of uh, biblical times, in a sense. And they came to Ophir and fetched from thence gold, 420 talents, and brought it to King Solomon. And uh, now the... Uh, Oh, I, I see that Mr. Burst there. Hiram sent in, sent in the navy his servants, shipmen that had knowledge of the sea with servants of Solomon. The, the Phoenicians in general, Tyre and Sidon, were really uh, the most skillful seamen of the day. And much of Solomon's prosperity was due to the uh, maritime industry that he was able to undertake with uh, Phoenician help, if you will. And now they, he extended his uh, uh, maritime merchant marine, if you will, as far as Ophir, which is somewhere in, uh, uh, probably in southwestern Arabia. But some people feel that it could, it could have been India. Some people figure it's uh, deep in Africa. Something very strange we discovered when we were in the Cairo Museum is that uh, they got their gold from Nubia, not that far away, and very prominent. To get silver, they had to go further away. So they valued silver more than gold. It's very strange. You study the Cairo, everything's gold, 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 the Cairo Museum, but certain special things are silver. And we smile at that because it, silver is, is more available than gold, so we value gold higher than silver. But they didn't in, in Egypt, strangely enough. Just an interesting comment passing. Okay, well, we got through. Let's go to verse 10. Let's talk about his real glory here. When, when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord... She came to prove him with hard questions. Now, Sheba is regarded by most scholars as modern Yemen, not Ethiopia, by the way, in Arabia, about 1,200 miles from uh, Jerusalem. So that's quite a trek for her to take on. It was the land of Sabians in any case, and uh, the, Sabian, uh, the Sabian people uh, over whom she, she ruled were governed by priest kings, if you will. Now, Solomon's expeditions to the east by sea is probably where she heard of him. She came to check him out and to test him, in effect. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels with, with, uh, that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the, king, when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and the cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord... There was no more spirit in her. As she said in the king, it was a true report that I heard in mine, in my land of thine, uh, of thine acts and of thy wisdom. And howbeit I believed not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I had heard. In other words, she couldn't believe what she heard. She went to check it out and she found out she hadn't even told half of it. She's blown away. 
She says, happy are thy men, and happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord had loved Israel forever, therefore made he the king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king a hundred and twenty talents of gold, and of spices very great store, and precious stones. And there came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So she's impressed, right? She's obviously quite wealthy herself, incidentally. Uh, so she gave him a, a, a four and a half tons of gold and a lot of other stuff. So pretty impressive. And the Navy also, Hiram, that brought gold from Ophir and brought in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almug trees pillars of, for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also, and psalteries for singers and there came no such almond trees, nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Now you probably know there's a legend, at least, that uh, they had a son uh, while she was visiting. And that son is uh, Menelik I, who uh, ends up becoming the beginning of the dynasties in Egypt. Uh, excuse me, in Ethiopia. And the Ethiopian... Uh, 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 kings traced their lineage to Menelik I, who presumably was an offspring of Solomon, Queen of Sheba. And uh, they also believe that Menelik I brought the Ark of the Covenant down, this relic they've been guarding for 2,400 years. From a biblical point of view, we don't, uh, we, we, we wouldn't be surprised that they do really have the Ark, but it didn't come down there then, it came down in the days of Josiah, that's all in Second Chronicles 35, we'll deal with that when we get to Second Chronicles. Moving on to First uh, Kings 10.14, now the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was six hundred, threescore, and six talents of gold. Now this is a very, very interesting little verse that gets overlooked by a lot of people. Um, six hundred and sixty-six talents of gold. Interestingly enough, this is one of the sins of Solomon. Solomon. There are three sins of Solomon. He should not multiply horses, should not multiply wives, and he should not multiply gold. That's in Deuteronomy 17. But here he's multiplying gold, in effect. But anyway, this fabled number 666 is regarded by some mystics, scholars that uh, suspect that this might be a link to Revelation 13:18. Somehow it, it, uh, it only appears twice in Scripture. Twice as a salary, I should say three times, twice as a salary. There's a copyist error in one place. And uh, in Revelation 13:18. So... The fact that uh, Solomon becomes apostate, the fact that the 666 may be a linkage to the Antichrist, who knows? You can play with that on your on your free time. Let's move on. Beside that, he had of the merchantman and of the traffic of the spice merchants and of all the kings of Arabia and the governors of that country. And Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold, or shields, if you will. 600 shekels of gold went in one target. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pound of gold went into one shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The house of the forest of Lebanon, the palace of the forest of Lebanon, if you will. Sort of an armory, if you will. The, each shield was about 600 becas, or seven and a half pounds of gold. Each small shield had three minas, three and three quarter pounds of gold. And uh, so these 500 shields were intended for parade use, apparently, not really battle, it's a presumption, because gold is a soft metal. But... Uh, in any case, and moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. And the throne had six steps. Now, that's fascinating. If you're a numerologist, you can't help but notice that six is the number of Solomon. Six, six, six is a, uh, is a salary. 
There are six steps to his throne. Uh, so there's a, there's a, the number of man, uh, one short of seven, is all through this place. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round behind, and there was stays on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the stays. And, and twelve lions stood on one side and, and on the other upon six steps, and there was not like... Not, not the like made in any kingdom. And all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None of, none were of silver. It was nothing accounted of, in, uh, it was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. For the king had at sea a navy of Tarshish, and the navy of Hiram, with the navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish, bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. Now this leads to a whole fascinating mystery. Where is Tarshish? It's the word Tarshish, it's a Sanskrit or Aryan word meaning the seacoast. We know from a number of passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jonah that it's a seacoast or probably an island uh, west of Palestine. And uh, it's mistakenly located in Second Chronicles on the coast of the Red Sea. I don't think so. Uh, Beaten silver, iron, tin, lead were brought there by the people of Tyre. Tarshish is associated with an island in Isaiah 23 and 66. Remember Jonah, in trying to get as far away as he could think of, grabbed a ship to Tarshish. So it's a long, long way away. There are many that believe it's Britain, because the word Britannia means source of tin. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, there are many that believe it's a, it's, it, it, uh, it's a linkage to Great Britain. Uh, others uh, associated with uh, Tertusis in Spain. But the identity is not clear. Um, southern Spain is one, get, but some, some, uh, there's all kinds of conjectures, but I've been unimpressed with any of the conjectures. I tend to lean to the Britain thing because it took three, it's a three year, apparently three year for a round trip here. So it's not, it's not, it's not nearby in any case. So, uh, and also the uh, apes and peacocks imply the east. So that's another whole issue. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom, and all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God hath put in his heart. And they brought every man his present, vessels of silver, vessels of gold, and garments and armor and spices and horses and mules, a rate year by year. Do you think Solomon probably had an ego problem? It would be very surprising if he didn't with all this, right? And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had a thousand and four hundred chariots and twelve thousand horsemen. And he bestowed in the cities for the chariots and, and with the king of Jerusalem. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones and cedars. He made as the sycamore trees that were in the vale for abundance. In other words, there's plenty <laughs> everywhere. Um, so, you know, they often say that uh, little things can t- tip off about a character than the great ones. And uh, you might see, you know, a casual reader might not uh, see much in the fact that he's, a set, he's collecting and assembling horses. But see, in the Mosaic Law, in anticipation of the monarchy, it specifically forbade the king of Israel to amass horses from Egypt. That's in Deuteronomy 17. And uh, so he purchased horses. He apparently traded horses and chariots quite, quite aggressively. Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen yarn. The king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. The chariot came up and went up and went out of Egypt for six hundred shekels of silver and a horse for a hundred and fifty. And so, for all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria, did they bring them uh, by, out by their means? So he's really swinging. 
He bought a chariot for 600 shekels. That's about 15 pounds. A horse cost about 150 silver shekels, about three and three quarters pounds. And of course, he exported it to the Arameans and so forth. Um, okay. Um, see, the Lord prohibited this in the Torah, in Deuteronomy 17, because he wanted the people to depend on him and not uh, uh, their military strength. And uh, so the presence of these strong physical defenses, the prosperity of the land, turns the heart of Solomon away from the Lord and from and the people with him, with a false sense of security. When you have an abundance of material benefits, is a danger signal. It tends to think you have no need, no real needs, uh, and you, and you, but your need for God never diminishes. But it would seem to you, you get careless, and that's exactly what's going to happen as we go into the last chapter here of this first half of the book. Solomon's apostasy. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, the women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonians, and the Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said to the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon claimed unto these in love. By the way, I want you to notice something. It doesn't say he left the Lord. He was still worshiping the Lord, but not exclusively. See, we often think that idolatry is when you give up God and go to idols. And that certainly is idolatry. What we fail to realize, idolatry can simply be including idols. Solomon probably worshipped all of them. Made his token gesture to the God of Israel. Made the token gesture to, to embrace him. He was, he was, you know, after all, he was liberal. You know, he's cool, you know. No, no, big mistake. Big mistake. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away. Can you imagine? He must have been exhausted. How many of those had PMS at one time? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The Arabs have a quaint expression about women. They say, uh, 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 one is too many and ten not enough, you know. <laughs> 700 wives, 300 concubines. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Nussler, teaching through the book of 1 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.